some questions. Uh, some of you sent me some questions this morning. That was great. So I got those all ready. And uh, we'll have a little bit of time for that. And then we'll go ahead and eat lunch. Back there. So that'll be good, too. So since there were some of you that weren't here last time, I just want to sort of review some things that we talked about. Again, the packets are in the back. If you haven't gotten one or if you want an electronic copy, just uh, Beth. But from our elders' letter to you, we're just thrilled that Daniel Newby is here uh, as a candidate for our outreach director. It's been a year of searching and interviewing a lot of potential candidates, and we believe that God has been leading Daniel consistently throughout that whole process. You know, Slingshot is the company that we hired initially, and Chris Lagerloff was our consultant. And, uh, and so Slingshot, you know, did a lot of work, not just looking for people that might fit our profile, but we're looking for an outreach director. But then once we get to that point, really sort of helping shepherding the process, both from the candidate's perspective and from the church's perspective, as well as doing the first layer of vetting. You know, vetting people is very important, and so Slingshot covers a lot of that on the front end, so that was very, very helpful. And then over the last uh, number of months, we've gotten to know Daniel a lot better as an as a elder team. Um, you know, we did, uh, I think we did two or three video interviews with Daniel. Um, so on the front end, as well as reviewing documents, uh, he came here and spent uh, five days with us in April um, just to get to know the area. Uh, he was in the back of the church. You might have seen him, but it was a secret visit. And I uh, met with some of the staff, um, so got to know some things there. And of course, we spent a lot of time and were able to have a lot of good conversations throughout that time frame. Um, and then... Uh, of course, that was in April. We're thinking, well, okay, how, how soon can we get him to come out and, and meet everybody? And it's like, oh, summertime. So the sacred three months, <clears throat> I've learned, I'm out here in New Jersey, can do nothing. So, um, so but with Daniel's schedule and our schedule and everything, this was the early days of getting out of the calendar, but we're so glad that we're finally at this point uh, together. And as uh, you've been learning, there are two main areas a lot of detail underneath each one that Daniel's responsible for as an outreach director here. One is to really just help us as a congregation and individually become better at doing outreach. And the second, of course, is uh, in conjunction with the LEO fund, is to really help us make the best use of that um, and to make sure that uh, we are being effective in our outreach and, and uh, seeing the kingdom of God expand as the gospel is preached. So all the specifics are in your, are in your packet. Um, so this morning, yes, just uh, I have a handout for you here. So we wanted to give you uh, a sample of uh, what a training session might look like from Daniel K. Newby. Um, and so uh, we just prepared something for us this morning. And we've got some interaction time prepared for us. And, and that's going to up in about an hour and a half. Then I have some questions that you sent me. So I'll pass these out. And Daniel, if you Alrighty, it's so good again to be here and uh, just to fellowship with everyone. And uh, I know they're passing out some of the handouts, so I'll let that let them do that. And afterwards, we'll we'll have a word of prayer. Forgive me, my voice is a little raspy right now, so uh, apologize for that. Hopefully, you can still make out what I'm saying. And one of the things I did with this is just, as they're finishing passing that out, just, just uh, this is a little, mo it's modified, okay? So I don't want us to necessarily. Perfect. Yeah, so you can hear me okay? Great, great. So um, I didn't want to, typically in a, in, a, in a training type of a session, you know, um, it's a lot more interactive, and I try to have individuals and, in, you know, small little breakouts in your answering questions. But rather than going through that entire process, um, I wanted to shorten it and kind of give you just like a little sample 
And this way, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, answering questions right now, but just, just focusing sort of on the content and the, and the general overview of, of, of what we're doing, okay? I think everyone has the handout. Let's pray, and then I'll, I'll go from there. All right. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to uh, go through this process and, and, and learn more of you and how uh, we can help be a part of, uh, potentially part of Calvary, Lord. Father, bless this time, even as we uh, delve into this uh, content, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, give us insight, Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes of our understanding. I pray, Lord God, that you would catalyze, Lord, um, in our hearts uh, things that you would cause us to do and want to do for your kingdom. So, uh, we thank you right now for your presence, for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Guide our conversations, guide, Lord God, uh, the entire day, and you be glorified and honored in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. So, again, I'll just reiterate, you've got those handouts. What, what I'm essentially going to do today is just, this is a, a, a message of vision, okay? When I talk about vision, um, what I like to do when I'm working with an assembly, working with the church, is to give you sort of, in the beginning, a broad vision. And what I mean by that is, there's things that are unique and specific and particular to Calvary, right? But as a foundation, what I like to do is lay out sort of a biblical concept of vision. And what happens in the processing of that, the, the, the organization um, or the church in this particular case, can distill down, thank you, they can distill down what their specific vision is. And I hope that makes sense. Because we start broadly, we start with, with foundation, what that is, and then as we begin to process, we distill down the, the things that are particular to, say, uh, the church. For this particular one, I just took a text from the Old Testament. And um, I wanted you to see the text because as I was just like meditating and processing this, it's important to see the text, because I always believe that we come from the Word of God, no matter what it is that we're doing. You know, when you're in, in business, you know, we have different methodologies and practices. Just want us to be able to utilize um, and come from a biblical foundation. That's just very, very important, um, at least in my mind. So this is a scripture that was on my heart. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, uh, 4 through 7. And what I'm going to do, essentially, I'm just going to read through this. I'm going to read through verse 1, and then I'm going to read through verses number 4 and 7. I'm going to skip verses 2 and 3, only because they're more parenthetical. They're more kind of uh, uh, addition or, or added to. So Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah 29. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's the verse number one. I'm going to skip down to verse number four. I'm going to skip the, ne the next two verses because, like I said, largely parenthetical. This is what, in verse four, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this was an Old Testament text, obviously, right? And it meant something to the individuals at that time. And so we understand that at that time, the children of Israel had been carried off into exile from their home. Uh, from their home. And they were living in a foreign land. Um, and so during that time, they were, they were under the impression that they were going to have a quick escape. 
that they were going to get out of this really soon. Like God was going to come and deliver them really fast. So they were getting words from prophets at the time and getting, uh, you know, leaders telling them that God is coming. He's going to, you know, deliver you. It's going to be a quick fix. But then God says to them in verse number four, he said, I carried you into exile into, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he began to give them a vision for where they were. And I took this text because I think it's a good text to take when we look at vision in the Old Testament, make an application in the New Testament. So understand, what it meant for them was that they were in exile. They were wanting to get out of exile. They were having prophets and people that were telling them, and leaders, it's gonna be, you're going to be quick, you're going to get out. But the Lord was saying to them, that's not the case. I want you to be established. I want you to build. I want you to plant. I want you to grow. I want you to increase. Now I'm going to make an application. I'm going to transition from the Old Testament to the New Covenant in terms of where we are. Because as a people, the thing that I want us to think about is the fact that wherever it is that we are, as the text begins to tell us, and we, we can make an application, the Lord has planted us in that place where we are. It says in this text that, um, ask and seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you off into exile. Now, as believers, as people of God, we are essentially foreigners in the land that we live, in a sense, okay? Because we are sojourners. We are those who God is, uh, uh, we have another heavenly home. Sometimes what happens in the church is that we, like the, the, the children of Israel, are looking for a quick escape. And so we do something in an analogous sense in the world, in our contemporary culture. We cluster ourselves into sort of a, uh, ecclesiastical structures that keeps us from engaging in the community and engaging the people that are right around us. What the Lord was reminding them in the New Testament is that I put you there for a specific purpose and for a specific time and season. And I want you to begin to, and he began to give them a vision. And so I want to look at this text, take out just some simple points in the text, and I'm going to take out seven vision points that I see in this text that could be applied to us in contemporary culture and discern and to understand what God was really saying to the Jewish people there at that time and what is he saying to us in contemporary culture? Well, where ha what city has God planted us at? You're in Essex Fells, right? Now, you can enlarge that. You could say it's the state. You could say the state of New Jersey. Um, we could say, we could look at it geographically and say it's the nation. But again, we're making an application of an Old Testament text. I just want to keep that in mind. Um, so when you are placed there, God has an intention and a purpose and a plan. I think that's extremely critical and important for us to understand, as opposed to uh, just looking at things as activities to do. It's important for us to really grasp the idea that God has literally planted us and placed us for a specific purpose. And so he began to give them insight and understanding. In verse number one, it says, uh, the text states that Nebuchadnezzar, in verse number one, if you look at that, Nebuchadnezzar carried the people into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. But in verse number four, it transitions to God's perspective. It says, this is what the Lord God Almighty says, I carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So you have been placed and planted in the city that you currently dwell. It's not necessarily, circumstances can happen External things can take place, but God has literally sought to it that you, there's a destiny you have, there's, there, there's people that he's called you to reach, there's, there's a, a, a purpose that he, he constructed for your life from the foundation of the world, and he has planted you in that specific place. And I'm reiterating this for a point. I want you to really get that in your heart and in your, in your mind and your spirit, that God has placed you here. I think if we understand that, and we get to the place that is God, I'm, I'm here because of God. It's not just because my family went here, right? Your family may have went here, but God has planted you here, okay? All right? So it, it may be close to where you live in terms of your house, but God has planted you here. So if you think about that, then it's going to say to me, I have responsibility to the city and to the place where I am. So the first point I want to, want to, want to talk about is that, like I said, God has set you in this city. And God had pronounced to them vision. <clears throat> the first thing I want to talk about is that in verse number seven, as we're looking at the vision, 
the way that I look at this text is that verses number five and six are the vision. Build houses, marry, uh, increase in number. And then he gets to verse number seven, and then he begins to give the plan. If you look at verse number seven, it says, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's interesting, as I'm looking at this text, that the Lord begins at the end. The very thing that you need to do for vision, he shows you at the end of this text. And, it, and I find that quite consistent in scripture uh, through a variety of texts that I study and that people look at. God will give vision, but then he always talks about how to, what's the incipient, what's the beginning process of that vision. And the beginning process of this vision was number one, and I put seven points down there um, that you can just, you know, notate. The first thing is to pray. That, you know, one of the things that, that Pastor Daniel mentioned to me about the church here is that, and it just resonated with me, that it is a praying church. And what's significant is that, that verse number seven gives us the fact that prayer is crucial. So that prayer is not only the form of vision. It is not only a vision component, but it's also the fuel for vision. It is critically important that we understand. So what are the kinds of things that we can pray for? Now, I have a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm not going to go into every one of those, and I got six more points to go through, and I could be here for an hour and for a long, and I'm not going to do So I'm going to skip over content. But I'm going to give you a little idea of what the things that we, need, that we need to pray for. You live in a specific city. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, he says, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Well, he has called you to play, pray for your leaders in the, in the region that you dwell as exiles, as believers in Christ, okay, to pray. He has called you, in addition to that, to pray for laborers. Matthew 28 says, 28 and 19 says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, you've heard that so many times, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Another aspect and concept of prayer is praying, as we talked about yesterday, specifically, if you sense that God is calling you to a place and to a, a thematic emphasis of oneness, we pray that we would be one. John 17, when Jesus' prayer was for the believers, one of the most important things he prayed was for the unity of the believers in the body of Christ. So again, there are a multiplicity of things to pray for, but fundamentally and foundationally, we are to pray. If you're in a city, you're in a location, you're, you're, you're called to pray for the leaders. That, that, that is a given. You're called to pray for laborers. And oftentimes, you become the prayer that you pray, you know. When you're praying for something, get ready, because oftentimes God will use you to become the embodiment of the thing that, that you're praying and asking for. And then, and, and it's, it is extremely important that you want to be in the spirit of what God has called us to do. And so the unity of the spirit, the oneness, is very, very, very vital to the kingdom of God. And outreach, I'll say this, is essentially... And I, and I put it this way, it's essentially conflict. You are engaging, there are kingdoms in conflict. Now, I, I'm not trying to sound overly dramatic about that. But the reality of it is, is when you are literally, you know, you're going and you're, you're ministering life to someone that had, that was on a trajectory to go into the kingdom of darkness. You are calling them, you are serving them to bring them out of that place and to bring them into light. So there is a sense where th there is conflict that is happening. And so we have to understand that. So what God does is that he develops us in a spirit of unity and peace. Because this text, and I'll talk about that a little bit, it's interesting that he, that he uses these the certain uh, languages to speak to us. But he wants us to function in the spirit of unity. Spirit of unity, it begins to diffuse those places and those, those aspects of conflict that we face in the kingdom. Because as we go out, as you witness, as you minister, we are going to inevitably face conflict. And, that, and that's one of the things that I, um, we'll talk about that at, at a deeper level at some point. 
But being able to uh, engage the community, how do we diffuse the enmity and the hostility? Well, Christ was the Prince of Peace, right? He was the God of love. And so uh, he abolished the enmity and the hostility that separates man from God. And so that is the thing that, that the Lord Jesus brings to a community. It's his nature. So if we are not seeing that enmity and hostility being diffused, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we flowing and are we functioning? Foundationally, unity and the spirit of peace is what causes the kingdom of God to advance, okay? Um, one of the things, I, and I mentioned the fact that we can become the prayer that we pray. God will make, maybe will send us. We also want to pray that we would know him, know ourselves, and that others may know him. And what I essentially mean by that is that we know him, that we, that we begin to uh, uh, develop our own identity. I talked about, a little bit about that yesterday. And questions I would typically ask at this particular point, I would ask questions, well, well who am I? Who, uh, who is Calvary Evangelical Free Church? You know, and you don't have to answer that right now, but I'm just raising questions. These are the kinds of questions that we would explore. Ask questions about um, who are you specifically? Where, who has God called you to serve in an individual place? Who has he called you as a community of faith to serve corporately? Um, what does God want Calvary to become in the future? What do you see that God wants you to impact? These are the just certain kinds of questions. So in the identity development processing, as we're going through understanding who we are, who God has called us to be, understanding the environment, understanding the culture that we're around, that, that we are around and embedded in, God will begin to develop an outreach mission based upon identity formation. And that's when I talk about praying that we would know him, know ourselves, and know our community. Now, we're not going to go into all of that, because um, that's another process, but but that's the kind of thing that we would start, start with, starting with prayer, starting with knowing who we are. The second point, the vision, in verse number five, it says in the text, and I want to go back to the text, verse number five, it says, to build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, the very first imperative in that text is to build. And to build is a loaded word. Uh, one of the studies that the Pew Research Center has done is that it says, and I'll just read to you, it says the study, one of the, the Pew Research Center, if you're not familiar with that, they do a lot of study in different organizations, a, a lot in the church. But the study suggests that the number one reason that people, uh, that people cite for not attending religious services is, that, is not that they are unbelievers, but that they practice their faith in other ways. So another study indicated that, that people, both unbeliever and believer, that their deepest desire is to make a difference. I like to think of that as building a difference. So in our postmodernistic American culture, we want to understand that if we are following biblical vision, we're going to actually meet the needs of the culture in which we dwell and we exist. Because as he says, build, what he's saying is that they are looking how to make a difference. That's one aspect and one, one way to look at that. So Christians can provide the gospel in a holistic manner that bridges the desire of the heart to build with the message of the kingdom that builds lives as a home for Christ. And so you are tapping into, you are reaching into the, the desire for people to build and evangelization. It says in verse number six, in verse number six, it says, marry and have sons and daughters. Now, when I look at that text, again, what it, what it meant for them was that they literally meant to marry and have sons and daughters. Biblically speaking, in our contemporary culture, we want to transition, make an analogous application. When we are having sons and daughters, we are having sons and daughters in the faith. That is what is the form of evangelism. We are producing sons and daughters spiritually. Now, one of the things I like to say is that in the Old Testament, God advanced the kingdom through procreation. 
Now, that's not the only way he advanced the kingdom. But it's a critical way that he did. When you saw Abraham, you will bless and be a blessing and that your offspring shall be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. So he advanced the kingdom oftentimes by procreation. In the New Testament, God advances by spiritual procreation. That is when souls are brought into the kingdom. Now, that says a lot for individuals. You know, Jesus, when they asked him, who is my mother and who is my brother? Jesus said, well, he said, those that do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers and are his family. So there's a, there's a new reality that's in the New Testament that we really have to ascertain so that we can carry out the vision of the kingdom. So the reality of spiritual procreation is, is that it welcomes everyone to the critical task of the kingdom. You know, I often think about and I encounter individuals who say, you know, I'm an empty nester and I don't have kids anymore or I'm single or maybe I've gone through a divorce and I just feel like I don't have, you know, that same meaning in life. But the beauty of the kingdom of God and the beauty of reaching people is that God gives you the opportunity to be able to spiritually advance the kingdom through spiritual procreation. Does that make sense? So the way that we do that, some of the methods to accomplish the vision of evangelizing as a body of Christ, one of the ways, and I'm just going to mention a couple of methods, and one is evangelistic activity, and the other is evangelistic teaching through training, through coaching, evangelistic activity. Um, so evangelistic activity, I want to just break that down a little bit. Evangelistic activity is community engagement to stimulate opportunities for faith conversations. It can be a variety of different things. It can be food distribution, nursing homes, inner city development, homeless ministry, cleaning services. It can be a variety of compassion ministries. But the thing that we want to keep in mind to characterize evangelistic activity is that there's disparate community engagement and there's deliberate community engagement. And oftentimes I find that individuals, when they function in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the former, in disparate community engagement, where it's sort of more shotgun approach, it's not necessarily aligned with vision. So we always have to, to look at deliberate, directed, intentional activities. And I'll talk about this a little bit later as I get into the other aspect of that uh, and lay out sort of a, a, a hypothetical scenario of how you can do deliberate. But deliberate activity means, what it's saying is that we're engaging in activities, not necessarily from a shotgun approach, but engaging in activities because we want to align our vision with what we're trying to accomplish. And so that takes planning, it takes looking into your community and saying how can this empower what it is we're trying to bring to pass. And um, I'll talk about this later on, about what community engagement for functions of that. Um, let's go to the third point. The third point in the vision in verse number six, when he said, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage. Now, the first point, marry and have sons and daughters, I want us to think of this. If we think of marrying and have sons and daughters, that's first generation spiritual procreation. First generation. That means that I'm witnessing to somebody at my school. I'm witnessing somebody at, at my neighborhood. And they come into the faith. That's in a, in a sense, that's your son and your daughter. Okay? You've been birthed them into the kingdom. First generation. But then what it also says in the text, it says, find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. What is this a picture of? Well, this is a picture of the third point. Because if we're witnessing and ministering to individuals, the desire is not that they just come to the Lord, but that they would then become those that help others to come and to know the Lord. And that's what we consider to be second generation procreation. Does that make sense? You have first generation and you have second generation. And, and the utilization of those words, sons and daughters, tells you that they are not orphans, right? Because how many times do we say, let me witness to this person, let me, let me minister to this individual. Let me, let, let, let me uh, talk to them, and they come into the kingdom of God. And we don't really know them very well. We're not rearing them into the kingdom of God. And so, in a sense, they're orphans. So what is that saying to us? What is that saying is that God wants us to literally uh, be those that 
can see individuals and see them as sons and daughters who we are rearing and discipling. I mean, how many of you are parents know that you just don't have a child and you leave them, right? So sons and daughters, it's important that we have a concept and a vision of disciple-making, first and second generation, and then also that we are, are, are intentional about raising them as sons and daughters, not as those that don't have a name. So uh, that's the third point uh, in, in the text. So we're rearing them to a place of maturity, to a place of discipleship. Because honestly, evangelism and discipleship is in continuity. It's not just to win people to the Lord, but it's to win them and to grow them into maturity and to have them also then developing and winning others to Christ. And so we see this in our text. We see, we see the scripture saying, sons and daughters, then have wives for your sons and daughters, and then have uh, sons and daughters from those that marry. So they're increasing in number. <clears throat> I talked about this the other day, but um, yesterday, I should say. It wasn't yesterday, the other day. <laughs> but, but debriefing groups, that's really important. I think when we do discipleship, when we're doing evangelism, it is so critical. And I used the example, I think, yesterday about was the 70 or 72 or whatever the number was that went out and they came back and then Jesus gave them sort of, a, sort of a commentary on their thoughts of what happened when they went out evangelistically. It is extremely important that in the discipleship-making process that to be effective and for us to be formed, like we talked about yesterday, that when we go out and when we come back, we are getting insight and understanding about what happened, what took place, not just to those who are the, the object in a sense or the subject, the focus, but also what happened in our hearts. And, um, and that's another thing that, that um, I really like doing is debriefing um, because it, it, it brings up things and it allows us to really, really, really grow and allows us to really have purity when we are reaching people and purifying our motives, uh, understanding why I'm doing outreach um, and what that means for me. Because God is developing you in that process, not just touching people. So I won't, I won't uh, belabor that one particular, but I just want to bring, bring that up. So that is uh, point number three. The other point that I want to mention is in verse number seven, this is the fourth point of the vision, the biblical vision. Um, in verse number seven, it says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Now, there's a couple things here. Two words, peace and prosperity. Now, I want you to focus on this because, and I used to work for a gentleman, and uh, Dr. J.L. Williams, and he wrote a book called The Power of Partnership. And um, I appreciated some of the things he said in there because it talked about the vital nature of partnership and how partnership is critical to grow and to form and to develop. And he, he mentioned a number of different things and, and one, I, one I'll talk about. But when you see peace, it may not seem that obvious to you. But what he had on the picture of, of the book is he had two hands that were joining together. He had a black hand and a white hand and they were joining together. And what it, what it says to me is that what this text talks about is peace, it's agreement. When you are partnering with people, you are developing in the spirit of peace in agreement. That's what happens. That's partnership. That's, that's in a sense, what we talk about when we are uh, looking to establish peace and prosperity in a city. Because to truly establish a peace and prosperity as those of outreach, you're going to have to join hands with those that are different than you. You're going to have to develop partnerships. You're going to have to be in agreement. That's peace, okay? And so that's actually, that's actually vision point number four. It's building, cultivating, expanding partnerships, seeking peace through agreement to build partnerships through relationships. Ephesians chapter four, three and four says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of what? Peace. There is one body and one spirit, the same Holy Spirit that unites us with others corporately. It's the same spirit that we need for, to, to first be in partnership and to be effective in ministry. Now, I, I, there was a quote that, that Dr. J.L. Williams stated, and I wanted to, to reference that. Partnerships must always precede projects. You need to think about that. And this is foundation. Partnership, 
partnerships precede projects. I'm going to skip ahead for a second to point number five, and I'm going to go back to point number four. Peace is agreement, right? And peace is partnerships. Peace is developing relationships. Partnerships must always precede projects. The collaboration that comes out of those partnerships is the projects, the things that you do. The critical thing I think is really important to understand, and I think this is biblical, that kingdom projects must always flow out of covenant partnerships, but remember, partnerships or peace are an end to themselves. And that's counter to culture, because culture, we network for projects, right? We network, we build agreement so that we can get a project. But in the kingdom, it's different. It doesn't mean that we don't do projects. It doesn't mean that we're not looking for collaboration. We are. We want to do that. But that's not the end. Because even biblically and spiritually speaking, when God brings people into the kingdom, the goal and the end is relationship. And the reason why I say that's so important because it sets sort of a, 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 a directionality of our heart when we're doing ministry. That the point of it is relationship. That's the end. Now what flows out of that, thank God, projects can come out of that, right? If they do, great. If they don't, it's still good. Because what you're doing is you're establishing peace. You're changing the culture of a community. And oftentimes I see this in churches. I see this a lot. They're, they're, we network, we develop, we, we, we go in agreement with people, and, all, and, and, and we're disappointed if a project doesn't develop. We're disappointed if something doesn't happen the way we thought. We see it as a failure. And what I'm simply saying to you is that just the very aspect of agreement means that you have accomplished something significant in the kingdom. That's the spirit of scripture. And so the, the, the uh, projects that will flow out of that, that's a bonus. That's an extra. But number one, spiritually, we are functioning in a different dimension. So the church transacts in a different dimension than the world. The world has transactional relationships, a means for a temporal end, that which is now. But the kingdom has transformational relationships, not transactional. It's not what will you do for me. And if I don't get what I want, I'm going to be disappointed, disgruntled, and probably not going to want to see you again. And so outreach, development, partnerships, collaboration, understand the primacy of that other point that we made, point number four, building partnerships, because you want to join hands. If you focus on that, uh, and have the right spirit in prayer. God will do things exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask or think. I just believe that. When we do things within right, the right way. I was talking to someone yesterday, and we talked about, you know, we can deliver the truth, but we have to deliver the truth in the right spirit, right? So it's the same thing when we are collaborating, when we are building, when we are joining together, the right spirit. So point number four, building and cultivating, expanding partnerships. That's so in the bond of peace through relationships. Point number five, the vision point that's in this text. It says in this text, it says also seek the peace, but then it says seek the prosperity, right? Now I'm coming back to the point I just made. What is prosperity? Peace is agreement. Prosperity is projects. You're building. You're prospering. Now, biblically, prosperity can mean health. It can mean oneness of mind. But when we're talking about the city, what you're doing is you're, 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 you're collaborating and, you, and you're developing. You are, you are advancing that city in some beneficial way holistically. So this text, in my mind, gives illumination to the right process and the right uh, pattern for biblical outreach and biblical development. So we seek the prosperity for all to advance kingdom work by collaboration with churches, by collaboration with organizations, Investing in people who are investing in others for the benefit of the city. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. And there are many ways. And, and sometimes at, this, at these points, I'll talk about collaborative ideas. And that's going to vary and differ depending on where you are. But there are conferences. I talk about conferences on reconciliation. And there are collaborative training and workshops. And, 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 and one of the things I think is important is collaboration is to collaborate with other churches. 
There's a saying in the military that says, if you train together, you fight together. Uh, and so bilateral training results in unilateral missions. So when we're training together, you can do work together. So oftentimes, it's unfortunate that there's not a lot of collaboration in churches, but if, if they would begin to do training together and be aligned in that process and vision, then they also could do projects and build together in the kingdom. So again, I'll repeat it, verse number seven, point number five, we find peace, uh, we find that peace is to relationships, peace is to partnerships, as prosperity is to collaboration and projects. And you can just note that in your mind or mentally. But peace is to relationships or partnerships as prosperity is to collaboration or projects. Projects flow out of partnerships, but remember, peace is an end, not a means to an end. And number six, point number six, and uh, I'm moving right along, right? So we're all, just two more left, <laughs> okay. Point number six. Um, it says, and we talked about sons and daughters, and one of the things that I want to mention, I want to go back to that point, we talked about nuances of that, sons and daughters, we talked about first generation, second generation discipleship, we talked about not letting them be orphans, but developing in maturity, but the other aspect I'm going to talk about, sons and daughters, has to do, and what this text, I believe, is illuminating, is that impacting the next generation, because, and that's point number six, impacting the next generation of leaders. How do you... Because when it talks about sons and daughters and developing, again, it is talking about spiritual, but it's also talking about how are we going to impact the next generation? And we're going to do that. There are many ways to do that, but, but one of the key ways, I think, in our culture is university, college campuses, outreaches. You have places like Caldwell and Montclair, other places, other universities and other places you can collaborate with and you can develop opportunities to reach that next generation. But that's really critical, touching the next generation. <laughs> and... The next generation, whether they are boomers, whether they're Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, they have a desire to make an impact in the world. And so we can find common ground with this desire and leveraging it to engaging youth and adults in community engagement and activities where opportunities for faith sharing can take place. I know it's a mouthful, okay? And I know you may have to chew on that. But, but the reality of it is, that's how you begin to interact and you begin to develop, uh, and there are ways to do that. Now, at this point, I may talk about how to implement. There are a variety of different things. But again, you're located in Essex Belt. You have, I think, Montclair, maybe 15 minutes, 15 miles away. I don't know exactly how far it is, but it's not far. You have Caldwell. Those are, those are places that you've been planted in that specific city. So you can impact the generation and you can begin to fulfill that biblical vision by developing an opportunity opportunities in those specific places. And, and there's a variety of ways to do it, exchange opportunities, internships, bringing them here, uh, going to where they are, having conversations like you've talked about before with those college students, but there's, but there's different ways to do that. And I'm getting to the last point, point number seven. And point number seven <clears throat> of the vision, it says to build houses and settle down, in verse number five, plant gardens and eat what they produce, Build houses not made with hands. That's the way I want to think about it. How do you build houses not made with plant hands? The text talks about building houses. It's talking about at that time, building houses, uh, settling down, planting gardens, and eating what they produce. Spiritually speaking, in a contemporary culture, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is that we nourish the city with living waters. We nourish the city with the eternal word of God. But is church planting is one of the critical and key ways, and that's point number seven, that we can build houses that would nourish the city. And when it talks about settling down in verse number five, in that text it means to live a stable, to live an orderly life, to become familiar with a place to become established. But in the kingdom idea, it has an idea of establishing and being rooted and being grounded in your faith. And it's extremely important that when you are witnessing church planting, that people have a place to be rooted and to be grounded in the word of God, in a fellowshipping body. So I'm taking that text, verse number five, transitioning contemporary culture, building houses, settling down and planting gardens and eating what they produce. So what are we eating? We're eating manna from heaven, eating food from God, living waters. And that's verse number, that's point number seven. Um, and so I'll skip ahead. So 
Those are the seven points. I'm going to reiterate those points again. So the, the, the seven points we talked about in the vision in this text was prayer. Number two was talking about evangelizing the body. Was talking, point three is discipling. Point number four is expanding partnerships. Point number five is collaboration. Uh, number six is reaching out to college and universities, impacting the next generation. And number seven is planting churches, okay? So what I did on the back, what I did on the back side of your handout, um, I just, I just kind of put sort of something that's specific to, to, to uh, Calvary, just to kind of get an idea. Um, so one thing I put, so what, what, what is the vision? Vision point number two, global evangelism, local uh, evangelism and discipleship. That's what I put as vision. Let's say you are in prayer and God has really put on your heart that, he, you, that you've sensed that God wants you to plant a church in, say, Patterson. And then I just say Patterson just kind of randomly. I remember we were driving through there, but I like Patterson. And I thought about that. So I just put Patterson here just as a, just as a vision goal. Church planning and the target is Patterson. So what are the things that, how do you then begin to engage the culture? So I'm bringing these things together because, again, we're being aligned. So to engage a culture, you want to develop potential partnerships in that area. Um, direct ministry is a larger part of this process, but, and I just put down three that I, that I researched and looked at, looked at what was in Patterson, like Habitat for Humanity. There's, and I think you pronounce this Kumak, uh, Eva's Village. But developing partnerships in that region allows you to have those faith conversations. And one of the critical things about that intentional engagement is four things happen. You develop a reputation in that area. People know who you are. Right? If I'm going to go plant a church somewhere and I'm not really even engaged in the community, um, they don't even know who I am. Right? So number one, you develop a relationship. You're modeling Christ by being there. You're developing a reputation. You're developing relationships. You're developing a relationship with the people that actually exist there. And number three is restoration. You are building back lives, whatever that outreach um, service might be, but you are being a, a model of biblical restoration. And number four, hopefully, it may possibly result in spiritual reproduction. So those four points, when you are intentionally engaging, these things have potential to happen. And as you're in that process, one of the other things that happens is that, I use the word indigenous, but basically it's homegrown. When you're in a place and you're developing and intentionally engaging, also, um, you're identifying individuals who could potentially be those that could be leaders in that specific place and in that specific region. So developing relationships, you're identifying potential persons to develop in leaders as a part of a team to lead into a discipling movement in the form of a new church plant. So I put that on the back just kind of as something to, for, for us to peruse and think about, about how to actually actualize that in your specific context. Now, there's a lot more to it than just simply that but it's just kind of like an overview of how that can happen. There's different models and different things like that, but that's just an overview. So I wanted to, get, to give us a sense of that. So those, that's what I wanted to, wanted to just go over today, and I hope you got something out of that, and, uh, uh, and uh, that it will be a blessing to you. And so these are things that we can develop further and at a deeper level, um, but again, it's one of those things that's particular and specific to your community and to your location and to your church body. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So um, I guess I'm going to let Daniel come back. And I probably went, I probably went for it. I go for an hour. I hope I didn't go for an hour. <laughs> That's fine. Really, really helpful, Daniel. I know it was like drinking from a fire hose, but it was good. <laughs> so, very, very good. So, um, this, this really dovetails with a lot of the questions that, that, that were sent to me uh, last night and early this morning. So, um, and touched on a lot of it on the training, too. So, maybe okay. you can sort of fill it in. So, I'm going to start with the second set first because it fits better. Okay. So, one of the questions that came in was how do you plan on this from a culture and community in this very postmodern, postmodern Western world? I remember the phrase you used, like, was something like holistic engagement or yeah. something like that. Can you maybe expand a little bit yeah, on how I, that fits? Sure. I think we talked about yesterday a little bit about um, 
some of the, the needs that are in the community, like some of the, some of the critical outreach needs, and we talked about unity. Yeah. Um, you find a post-modernist culture, there's common ground in certain things that are important to them. Unity is one. Uh, there's this need to, be, to make a difference. There's this need to sort of be practical. There's this need for this entrepreneurism. And those are things that are biblical, but then it can also, you can leverage those with a post-modernistic culture. Now, post-modernistic culture, they have a lot of theological ideas and beliefs, but they really come from a very practical standpoint. They're just trying to find a way to make meaning in their world that they've constructed with their mindset. And I believe the gospel already has that. The problem, I think, what, time, what happens a lot is that we've kind of lived sort of a, a, a limited gospel. It hasn't been holistic. It hasn't been extensive. It hasn't delved into other avenues and other arenas. And so the postmodernistic culture is going to be left uh, feeling like they aren't, that we aren't relevant. And I don't say we're not relevant because the church is always relevant, but they're going to sense that we aren't relevant. But what we have to offer we, is already there. We just have to, uh, uh, in my mind, tap into so what So the bridges are really easier to build than sometimes we think them, they are. Than sometimes they yeah. think, yeah, they are. Um, it's... it's it, it, it's being, like Paul said, all things to all men, that you might win some. And it doesn't mean compromise. It just means that we have a gospel that has so much more opportunity than I think we are, uh, that we are utilizing, that we are tapping into. Thanks. That's a good start. Of course, there's, everything's a seminar. That's a seminar right there, uh -huh. right? So, but uh, another one that you sort of touched on, too, the question that came in is, like, how have you planted churches in the past? I have a feeling that this little template that you gave us is sort of a model you've used in church planting or church plants you've been a part of? Yeah, that, I, I would say that, that that can be a model for church plants, and we've used that before. Um, I think the most recent, yeah, that, that definitely is a model. It's definitely a template. Um, we also, um, some of the more organic approaches, there are different organic approaches to church planting, and, and I've used organic approaches. For example, you go into a place and um, you survey the field, you, uh, uh, you look at... Um, preparing the ground, and between that, you have intercession teams. And so I've been a part of church plants that we really focus a lot on that. So it's a little bit different, but, but they're just different models. Yeah. Some of that fit with your global mission statement? Oh, yeah, yeah, very different in different parts of the world. What are some of the things you looked at? I did a lot of you know, traveled to parts of Africa, you, you know, Senegal and Dakar and, and Gambia, um, Kenya, uh, places in Singapore and Vietnam, uh, places like that. So different countries. Um, and then did a lot of missions trips, short-term trips, taking youth to like places like Mexico and Belize and Trinidad and Tobago, places, places like that. So, yeah. The other question was, how did you end up in your current ministry, and uh, what did you do while you are there? Now, your current ministry, according to your resume, has a lot of pieces to it. So there's the church plant aspect uh, to move to New Mexico. Then mm -hmm. there's all this consulting and training with all these different organizations. So, like, how, how did you really end up there, and, like, what have you been doing? Yeah, well, we, when I was in uh, Atlanta, one of the things that we wanted to do, we had been planning at the church plant that I was in Atlanta, which was Christian Missionary Fellowship, we were looking at doing, we were wanting to, we noticed that in Atlanta there was a, there was a, a, a large, a good segment of Hispanic population that was there. Um, we found that really interesting. So that's identity. We kind of looked at, hey, this, God is saying something in our hearts about this. So we had a number of churches that were planted on the East Coast. We had nothing on the West Coast um, and still have nothing on the West Coast. So... Um, I actually, uh, we talked about potentially going to the West Coast. We were looking at California, but that wasn't, a, we didn't think that was necessarily, we thought it was somewhat saturated in some points, or it just wasn't viable for certain practical reasons. We ended up looking at Las Cruces, or New Mexico. We thought about Albuquerque, but we went south. And number one, there was a, lot of his, there was a large Hispanic population. We thought we could use individuals who were in the community of our Atlanta location, and then go and uh, support the work in that region. Um, so that's, that's what, what was one of the, 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 the precipitating factors of looking at that. And of course, um, I had been there uh, multiple times before I actually went out there. And the point of going out there was to survey the field and to get a development, to understand the culture. Um, 
Christian Mission Association. Yeah. yeah. That organization briefly? Uh, Christian Mission Association is a church planning group outside in Cameroon, Africa. Yeah, they're based in Cameroon, Africa. Yeah. So they have Cameroonians in there? We have Cameroonians kind of in the U.S. to plant churches, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we had, we had, yeah, we had, and I think we had, um, back in Chapel Hill, we did our first, I think I may, I may have mentioned this yesterday, but we did our first conference for Cameroonian missionaries to the states. Um, and I, and I organized that and worked with Pastor Calvin on that. And uh, that's when Pastor Zach came, who was the head of the church in Cameroon. And so we had probably about 20. That was the very first conference in Chapel Hill. We did that. So we have Cameroonians. So actually what they're doing now is they're planting churches in the States. And, uh, uh, and I'll follow up on this, too, because that was one of the questions. Just uh, uh, I think that specific church plant that we had in New Mexico uh, did not take off. It was not, we didn't think it was, a, at this point, was a viable. And you're going to get that in ministry, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, um, it, it was a tough thing. And it also, the, the timing of it, too, was different, challenging, because it was 2018, 2019, and of course, we were doing some itinerary and coming back and forth. And it was also kind of like on that area where COVID came, and it shut down a lot of things. Um, and that made it kind of difficult to engage. Um, and then the other thing, and I was talking to somebody, I think, outside this morning, the culture uh, was a little different, you know, uh, and we didn't get the same support from the, uh, because we, the, the stage of once we survey the field is we want to send people out to be an intercessory team. And you have to have a level of commitment to do that. People have to, like, literally move from where they are to go and be an intercessory team in that region. And that's the, and that's the model that, that they use. Okay, so, uh, so there's just different, different uh, factors involved with that. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you? Sorry. Oh. No, this stand. Oh, this stand. We're gonna have that problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll have problems with that for a while. Um, so um, now I forgot my question. Uh, so a little bit more about the New Mexico church plant, since we're sort of talking about that too a little bit. Is um, okay. So I get the idea of the CMF and, and, and the surveys and all the church planting. Um, like, what was your specific role in this process? Yeah, my specific role has kind of been similar to what, the, what, what it was in the other processes. I actually was the one going to survey the field. Sure. Yeah, and when I was when I, surveying the field. And when I was in New Mexico, we did a church in Durham and also in Atlanta. And I was, and I was the, the co-pastor with Pastor Calvin. So we were basically co-planters co for that church. Um, and so I was surveying the field in Las Cruces, and we worked as co-planters. This particular church plant, you know, didn't, uh, didn't take off. Which, which is no big deal. I mean, I've worked in places where we have 80% failure rate, you know, yeah, so. Some places. Sometimes you want to, good to switch it around to 80% success. But, um, so uh, that church sort of decided that they're not going to do that plant anymore? Yeah, we, it, it was suspended. We just kind of decided that we wanted to suspend it until maybe circumstances changed or potentially in terms of we got a different level of support from the home church. That yeah. is somewhat part of your story of transition. Yeah, it definitely is. How, how did you, doing that, support yourself? Is that related okay. to a lot of this consulting that you do? Yeah. Well, when I first got to Las Cruces, how I supported myself is I worked as a business services consultant. I mean, and, and quite honestly, and really reality is, Pastor Calvin, when we were in Atlanta, uh, uh, he, well, not in Atlanta, when we were in Durham, he worked for Coca-Cola. You know, we, we, we had sort of the, the traditional role of church planting. We were always bivocational, okay? He, he, was, he worked for Coca-Cola. His wife happens to be a nurse. And so she, when he, went, when he did the church plan in Atlanta, he didn't have to do bivocational ministry anymore. She supported him in that process. I, when I was in Atlanta, I worked for uh, the, weather, the Weather Channel. And I actually was a budget manager for their marketing department. And so I did that 40 hours full time in the mornings, and then I did the church planning stuff in the evenings uh, and the weekends. Um, when I moved to Las Cruces, uh, I, I did business services consulting. And what I did with that is I, I engaged businesses to create opportunities for young people to have jobs. Because one of the key things in, in Las Cruces is jobs. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a different poverty level there. There's a different job opportunities there. So I got a contract, and I was working with a company. Uh, it was ResCare, and it's different now. But um, I worked developing opportunities with local businesses, going places and saying, you know, um, it's sort of selling, but also just developing uh, opportunities where we could bring young people in and they could give them jobs, essentially. That's basically what it is. And so I did that during the daytime. Yeah. 
Well, Daniel, this was a very, very helpful sermon. Got me excited about church planning. <laughs> so, yeah, now I'm thinking about all that. But uh, there's so much more we could talk about. It's lunchtime, though. So you'll be able to go back here. You can interact with Daniel on a personal level some more. Um, thank you again for, for coming out. Again, the videos of last night and tonight will be available. So Beth and I will figure out when we can send the links out to you. If you weren't here, you can let them. It'll go to them. Let me just pray for our food and our time. And uh, Father, we thank you for this uh, lesson from your scriptures this morning out of the book of Jeremiah and seeking the welfare of the city to which you Thank you for just the wonderful insights that you've given Daniel and how he's communicated those to us and stimulated our thinking and, and uh, engaged our hearts and, and uh, perhaps even starting us to think through ways we can be more intentional and deliberate in what it means to engage our community real purposes that are going to advance the kingdom in the, in the years to come. And I uh, pray that you just continue to guide and lead us all on this process of uh, his potential calling to Calvary. We ask that you bless this uh, time of fellowship now that we have and the food to our bodies. Um, and we pray all these things for Jesus' sake.